Edge Radio. Welcome to another action-packed episode presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. Make sure you check out all their products at KeelGuard.com. They're sure to make your recreational boating a pleasure. As always, Kurt, it's good to be alongside you at the mic. Hard to believe May is already here. We are in the middle of the fifth month of the year. Man, time flies. It sure does, Aaron. And we're going to fly right into our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight this month with another newbie to Bass Edge, Glenn Brown. We're going to talk about some flipping and pitching and all kinds of stuff you can do in the post-spawn. He has certainly had a lot of success doing that very thing, and I hate to say it, but he probably doesn't have a whole lot of line on his reel. (laughs) That's exactly right. Well, I want to remind all of our Bass Edgers to stay with us through our Facebook page and Twitter handle, and of course, at BassEdge.com. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, Kurt, here we find ourselves middle of May. Uh, I think that means one thing, and everybody has topwater on the brain. What's kind of your favorite topwater lure to throw, and, and how are you presenting that? Well, Aaron, I got a bunch of favorite ones, but i tell you one that I would probably implement this May because of the late spring that we've had and the slow process of the spawn that we've seen this year. I'm going to pick a frog. I think I'd be throwing a frog. You know, I throw an optimum furbit frog out there a lot, and, you know, if you like to walk the frog a lot, you've got the spro frogs, the snag-proof frogs, a lot of great frogs out there, but i tell you why I pick a frog this year is because I think a lot of fish are staying a little more shallow because our water temperatures aren't creeping up as fast as they typically would in a normal year and you can get that frog underneath a lot of cover you know you can throw it and skip it up underneath trees there might be even a late spawner you know this year you know those type of baits are really good for agitating some of those spawning fish as well and generally you catch big fish with those frogs and what about as far as you know oftentimes I think earlier in my fishing career or however you want to classify that. I always associated throwing a frog that it had to be around vegetation, but that's not necessarily the case. No, definitely not, Aaron. I mean, you shouldn't be ever afraid to throw frogs up next to laydowns, um, especially under overhanging trees. You know, if you can get back into some of these pockets and really skip the frog, almost like you're skipping a jig underneath a dock, you want to skip the frog back up underneath the overhanging trees. Those fish will stay in those shaded areas all day long, no matter how high the sun gets. They're still going to be wanting to eat that topwater bait, and it's a deadly technique that time of year. How are you differentiating between, let's say, the hollow body frog versus more or less the swimming frog? 
in this situation, I'm strictly using the hollow body frog. The swimming frog, I will still use in open water techniques and over top of vegetation. But right now, you know, I'm really concentrated on using that hollow body frog. One is because we talked about skipping it, and it's going to skip a lot better. I'm going to be using braided line, going to be using a heavy action rod, because as soon as that fish strikes, I want to put the steel to them, and I want to get them out of that cover as well. How big of a factor, you know, when you think about any topwater for that matter, but specifically since we're talking about frogs, is color, you know, the type or the color of the frog that you're using. I don't think color's real critical. I think you've got three shades. You know, you've got that yellowish, chartreuse bright shade, and then you've got black and white. You know, and those are really my mainstays that I try and focus on. I do think that the darker color frogs are a little better in darker sky conditions. You know, if you have a lot of clouds, I like the blacks. If you don't have as much clouds, I like the whites. I think the whites really mimic shad-type stuff or a bluegill that might be fl- rollicking on top of the water. I think the darker color frogs, like the blacks, they're not as seen as well. They really just show more of a silhouette, and that's why I like them when the clouds are over top of the sky, because it really shows a bigger profile, or a good profile for those fish to track and follow and strike. You know, Kurt, I'm going to go a little bit old school on you in the fact that, you know, topwater, I can always remember growing up and fishing many of the rivers and the streams and, and just walking along the shoreline. One of the things that was always in my tackle box from many on throughout the course of summer was a buzzbait. You know, much like you, I really like throwing a buzzbait. It's a, it's a single hook application, so you get a lot of good hookups. Normally, if you have a fish come up on a buzzbait, it's going to be hooked. Additionally, is because of what you said earlier, anytime that I'm fishing around a lot of laydowns, uh, dirtier water alongside docks, a buzzbait just seems to be so versatile. And you can have a twin blade, you can have a triple blade, you can have a metal blade versus a plastic blade. There's so much versatility with in that bait class that I think it's often forgotten about. Aaron, what is it different about those particular blades? What kind of action difference does it make when you're pulling that buzz bait through the water? Clear water, I'm going to use probably something that has a smaller blade on it that makes a little bit less commotion on the surface because I think in clear water, they can see it so much further than what they can in dirtier water. In a dirty water situation, I want a big blade, probably throw in a half ounce of bigger body type buzz bait. Conversely, with clear water, I'm going to downsize a little bit, maybe go to a plastic blade or a triple blade that's just going to make a little gurgling action. And a lot of times I'm throwing that parallel to either the bank or making sure that I'm throwing that parallel with the structure. Great tip. One thing I also think this time of year is an often overlooked pattern is the uh, fry. And a buzz bait is a great method to target some of those fry. You don't see a lot of those plastic three-wing buzz baits anymore. And those are some of the slowest, most active buzz baits to use this time of year because the fish are feeding slow. There's still that post-spawn. And when you get around those little pods of fry, that little plastic buzz bait will just utter through there so slowly those male bass can't stand it. You know, and one other thing, Kurt, that I'll add to the advantage to a buzz bait is if I pull in a pocket or something, it's nice to be able to just put the trolling motor down, cover water, and fish the entire pocket because you can cover it so quickly, especially early in the morning. And one of the things that I'll do is I'll have potentially a right-handed buzz bait as well as a left-handed buzz bait so that that way when I enter in the pocket, I go down one side, I can keep that bait working kind of parallel with the bank on the right side. Then when I approach the back of the cove and come up the other side, I reach down, I pick up a different rod that's going to rotate a different way and keep it coming down parallel with the bank that way. So one of the few tips that I think works really well. Great stuff, Aaron. And we got some more great stuff coming from Mr. Glenn Brown in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. So let's get Glenn on the phone and see what he's got to say about some flipping and pitching techniques. 
At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. is an angler that calls Ocala, Florida his home when he's not living out of his truck. His comfort baits are fished in inches of water with his power poles down, and he's been on tour longer than my oldest daughter has been alive. I'm happy to welcome Bass Edge first-timer Glenn Brown to the airwaves. Glenn, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm really excited to get with you guys and visit and talk a little bit of fishing. You know, right now, I'm actually, I'm over in Daytona. Me and my wife are on a little vacation. We do some jeeping and stuff with a jeep, and they got a big thing over here, and we're just kind of hanging out right now. Well, that is fantastic. I can see you riding around doing a little four-wheeling. Hopefully you keep it right side up, wheels on the ground and not up in the air. But Glenn, you bring up a good point that intrigues listeners. Is the person beyond the wrap boat in Jersey? And you know, you kind of alluded to it there by being out on vacation, just kind of doing a little time with the wife. But who is the real Glenn Brown and what makes you tick? Man, I'm an addict to fishing. I mean, that's where it all starts. It started out when I was just a young guy and fishing on my grandmother's pond, then got into bass fishing and tournaments and now I have three boats. I've got my Ranger bass boat powered with an Evinrude outboard. I've got a, a big aluminum flat boat with a 115 Evinrude on it. And then I've got a 25-foot offshore boat with twins on it. I'm eat up with it. You know, like last week, I was out grouper fishing. You know, we caught a four or 500-pound Goliath grouper. I mean, it's just the chase. And, you know, the bass fishing, I love the competition. That's what gets me fired up. And, you know, they, me and my wife, she likes to go fishing with me, but we got into playing with our Jeep a little bit. And it's something that she can do because she has a hard time catching fish sometimes, but she likes to go and play with the Jeep, and, and she just gets a good kick out of that. So we kind of do a lot of things. We stay busy. Yeah, it sounds like, Glenn, you obviously live in an awesome part of the country to get into that saltwater stuff. I had my first experience down that way last fall, did some tarpon fishing, and, man, that can get real addictive real quick. I can uh, see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, like the red fish. I mean, it's so much. We do a lot of that. And that's just like bass fishing. I mean, we go out and we skip chatter baits and swim baits up under mangroves. Then we go offshore, and that's a little bit different. That's the stuff that really doubles your rod down and that's just a blast i got another trip planned next sunday where a bunch of us are going out i'm gonna go jerk on a bunch of group it's just a hoot you know it's, it's easy you catch like a hundred a day that well, sounds like fun aaron and i have to get down there with you someday and i tell you what you know in the last week i've been looking around at your flw finishes and i'm kind of a statistical junkie and been looking at some of your standings throughout your years on tour i mean you've been on tour 10 years and you've been standing in the check line 59 percent of the time you got to tell our listeners what or whom you attribute such consistency to your fishing skill. You know, probably one of the things that I've got to attribute it to is, you know, everybody preaches being versatile, and yes, you've got to definitely be versatile, but you've also got to have a strength. 
something that you can fall back on no matter what. And like you guys, how you open the show, you know, I'm a shallow water guy. And, you know, if I'm in four feet of water, that's really deep. I'm happy if my boat's rubbing the bottom. You know, I get up there with my flipping stick, my gambler tube, or my warrior quiver bug, and I'm flipping, depending on where we're at in the country, if it's, I'm in grass or I'm in wood or just anything, anything docks, whatever I can throw those baits at, that's what made me successful. You know, there's many of my days, if you kind of look back at some of my tournaments, you know, I'll have kind of a mediocre first day, you know, and I'm not out of the hunt, but I'm, you know, back 50 to 100 or something like that. Well, I get mad at them. I'm like, screw it. I throw out my practice a lot of times. <laughs> I'm like, I grab my flipping stick and I just start run pockets, run banks, whatever I like. And there's a lot to be said for just fishing on instinct and whatnot. And I'll come in with a good bag and move, you know, like at Lewis Smith here a couple tournaments ago. I was like an 84. I had like eight or nine pounds the first day. I went out and caught almost 13 the next day and went from 84th to 34th. I mean, 50 spot jump. And that's the difference from no paycheck. So I think I made 10, five or 11,000 in that tournament. And that's what I attribute a lot of my success is just getting on the bank and fishing my strength. When everything falls apart or things don't work out. Well, Glenn, whether we're fishing a tournament or not, as anglers, we all want that magic bait, perfect spot, or that so-called in on what it takes to win. But interestingly, you know, those mentioned have really less of an impact than the credit that they're given. Can you chart us a course for developing our own consistency as well as how to measure if we are successful? Well, you know, there again, I think you need to find that one technique or skill that you're your best at. And you need to lean on that. You need to just really get good at it. And a lot of those things can be adapted to most every lake for the most part. You know, there's some exceptions where you may not be able to find a lot of flip and cover or whatnot. You know, have a couple of techniques and fall back on your secondary or something like that. You know, a lot of it is being good with a spinning rod. If you're not good with a spinning rod, you're going to get your butt kicked. You've got to have several things in your arsenal, but definitely, you know, I really lean on my strengths for being consistent. You know, when, like I said, when everything's not working, I, I go to the bank. You know, you just got a lot of confidence in that technique. Even if you're only going to get five or six bites, it may not be the thing to win, but there's a point in time where you say, you know, I'm not on the fish to win, but I can go and do this, and I can get five or six bites, and I can make that 50 cut. And, you know, even if you're just fun fishing, you know, you always want to catch and I like to just fish the way I like to fish. I don't go out and ask people for information. I just do my own thing, you know, and I, and I think you do better doing that. You know, just grow yourself and grow your strengths and don't try to fish other people's patterns. Well, Glenn, I think you hit the button on the head right there trying to grow yourself and grow your strengths. You know, it's often time on the water for improving as an angler is one of the most overused cliches in our industry. And successful anglers, you know, very similar to top athletes, don't just log long hours. They have a focus, an objective, and a plan every time that they launch their boat. When Glenn Brown launches his boat, what is he looking to accomplish? You know, when you're out fun fishing or out trying to improve as an angler, what are some of the things that you're trying to focus on to make you continue that consistency and maybe even cash some checks when you're on the Great Lakes and you might need to do something other than shallow water type techniques? You know, some of the things that I've been working on are my skills with my grass. That's a huge deal now. I mean, when you're first starting out, I 100% believe it's time on the water, time on the water, time 
time on the water, you know. And like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years now. So I've been to a majority of the lakes that the tours kind of rotate around at one time or another. So I kind of know the lay of the land, and that helps in cutting down on your time. So I kind of get an idea of what to look for and what to go after. But I just like to stay focused on those things that I like to do. I want to go and catch a bunch of fish, and then I just look for the things that I like to go after. That's one of my main objectives, you know. It's just fish my strengths. Just keep working on a few little things here and there. I mean, I don't kind of go hog wild and try to do 22 different things. You know, I pick out four or five things I'm going to maybe do in the course of a day and try to grow those things as I fish. I think it's important. One of the things you just mentioned there was just catching fish. And, you know, I'm obviously a guy down at Amistad as well. And that's one of the reasons I moved to Lake Amistad is because you get so many bites and you catch so many fish. And, and really catching fish breeds confidence. It brings confidence, whatever condition parlays to that particular fishing day. That's a critical aspect is just trying to catch fish and trying to adjust till you can catch those fish. And that's obviously one of the best and easiest ways to improve. If you're catching them every time you go out there, then you're going to be pretty good. For sure. I mean, if you're not getting any bites, you're going to get frustrated. But then once you get a few bites, it's like, oh, they're doing this. You know, bass are, of course, for the most part, very patternable. So you can definitely duplicate things a lot of times. So once you start getting those few bites, you just can continually expand on that. And, you know, you might find little nuances and areas and little differences in little special places. And a lot of times, you know, like, like I said, we've been to some of these lakes year after year. So we know these little places and it cuts down on our practice time. You know, it's it's the chase. And I mean, I know you're the same way, Kurt, because you've been doing this. You know, we just, we love that chase and that, that competition. You're not kidding. I love it. And I tell you what, we're in mid-May right now. So most of the country's getting into this post-spawn period. And I've got a question for you. I want to know when I'm out, probably going to do a little top water fishing in mid-May mm-hmm. and, and a lot of, a lot of our listeners going to be breaking out of the top water. So wondering what are your top three baits for top water fishing? You know, this you hit it on the head. If I'm in Florida, Devil Force. You know, that's my top water bait. That's in the spawn and through the post spawn, and, and then you'll go into like some frog type baits. And, you know, if I'm out of state, Super Spook Junior, you know, that's always in my lineup. And I still always keep my flipping stick there with my tube and my quiver bug. And then a chatter bait. You know, I love a chatter bait. You know, they fish well around cover. You know, those are a few of my favorite things to fish this time of year. Well, Glenn, we are rolling right along. I do owe everyone a break, but when we return, I want to expand really on your favorite way to fish. Fish, as well as answer a listener question. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We are back on Bass Edge Radio, and this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It's 
works. Glenn, without a doubt, in our previous segment, we found out even more that you're very comfortable in skinny water target fishing. What ultimately commits you to a shallow flip and bite versus a deeper and less target specific presentation? Man, if I don't have something to throw at, I get bored. <laughs> That's all I like it. <laughs> right. You know, I know there's so many times that you've got to be out there offshore throwing a big crankbait or a big football head, but man, I just love throwing that stuff. I love fishing targets. I love fishing them quick and burning down the bank, and that's just my comfort zone. And the electronics are so good now. We, we visited with that for just a second, but everybody's got the good structure scans with the Lorances that show you everything out there, and everybody's out doing it now. And that leaves a lot of stuff. You know, there may not be as many fish on the bank, but they're less harassed. You know, when you put 150 to 200 boats in a tournament, but everybody's out there, you know, they see the same thing on their Navionics ship, and they're out idling around in circles and trying to find the little sweet spots on these drops. Well, there's still fish that live in two foot of water all year long, and they're unmolested, you know. So I just go and do that. A great example of that for me was uh, we fished a tournament at Pickwick uh, about two years ago. Everybody was fishing offshore. I couldn't get it going. I mean, I practiced two days. I went to the bank and started flipping trees. You know, I caught like 14 pounds a day and had a great tournament. You know, it wasn't a winning pattern, but it was a great tournament. That's just my thing. I love that short line and that heavy rod, you know. There's nothing better than a good flipping bite, in my opinion. Glenn, you know, you bring up an interesting point there because four, five, six years ago, back in the day, it was almost like the structure fishing offshore stuff was where the fish were not getting pressured. And now, you know, everybody's focusing on the offshore structure stuff and almost leaving the shallow stuff alone. Yeah, that's for sure. Chances are, once you get in that post-spawn in summertime, you know, that's still where the tournament's going to probably be won for the most part, but it leaves a good bit of money to be won on the bank now, you know, because there's just less pressure. makes good sense to me. If I go out there and I'm not having a good practice and I pull up on the bank and start getting some bites, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, hey, you know, at least I can salvage my week and, you know, I may not make a cut, but if I can make a top 50 finish, you know, we fish for points too and you got to look at qualifying for the Forestwood Cup at the end of the year, you know, so you need to know when to stay safe and just catch fish especially if you know you're not going to catch them. I mean, there's I love an offshore bite. I mean, I've had a great time out there. You know, when you can throw a big worm or a big football head jig out there and it hardly hits the bottom or you hop it once and you can make 20 casts and catch 20 fish in a row, I mean, that's awesome. You know, I get frustrated when everybody's pulling up next to you and, you know, you got a boat on one side of you, fishing five feet off the other side, and you're throwing up the same stuff. I'm like, watch this. I'll go to the bank. Heck with y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can get tight out there. And for our listeners, you know, we're we're obviously relating a lot of this stuff to tournament fishing, but, but you can turn this right around and relate it to your recreational fishing. And what Glenn's saying is if somebody's telling you that the fish are biting deep and that's where to catch the big ones and you go out there and you spend a few hours and you're not catching them, you know, you only got the weekend to fish. So Let's not blow the weekend or the Saturday afternoon out there trying to force something. Go do what you enjoy doing and try some different things. And like in Glenn's instance, he'll just go shallow and just start catching what he can catch up there. And oftentimes, it's better than a lot of the other people are catching anyway. And uh, he's having a lot more fun fishing his tournaments and being successful. And conversely, if you're just fishing recreationally, you're catching a lot more fish. So you're just having a lot better time with it. That's for sure. And what people don't realize is there's a point in the summertime when, you know, you've got the water 
water quality out deep, you know, the oxygen levels go down, and the fish will move back shallow. I mean, it'll be 100 degrees. I mean, we've seen that in several of our forest wood cups where the tournaments are maybe not one, but the three out of the top five guys that are fishing, you know, in a foot of water where those fish move back shallower because the water quality is better. And, uh, you know, that's something to always keep in mind. There is that point in time every summer where that water quality out deep gets bad and those fish will head back to the shallows. Very good point there. You know, Glenn, like most terminology really in our sport, flipping and pitching are kind of a broad and often, you know, generic terms. And I've seen really the experts like yourself fish this way, and I've got to be honest with you, you guys are far from generic, but rather extremely specialized. Can you explain the difference between flipping and pitching and the things that you do that kind of set you apart? Well, you know, everybody uses the term flipping, and I'll tell you, it's rare that I actually flip, you know, and flipping is kind of where you draw a line from in between your reel and the first guide. You're working with about 14, 15 feet of line, and you're drawing that line and your pendulum swinging it back out there and you know you're just working with what line is on your hand and on your rod you're not using the reel a whole lot most of us pitch and that's of course like an underhand cast and it gets the bait out a little bit further from the boat you know the flipping's probably a little more accurate you know when, when i'm using a big weight in florida you know you'll park up on a mat you'll sit there and, and put your power poles down and hit every little hole around that's when i kind of use that but when you're just kind of pitching trees and logs and different things you know, you you kind of want that thing out of the way from the boat. You know, you are shallow. you got your troll motor on. You know, you sometimes run your sonars. I generally kind of set them to standby mode so you're not having a whole lot of pings off your sonars and stuff. But, yeah, the pitching is what most of us use, but it is generically used more. Everybody calls it flipping these days anyhow. So it sounds like when we're pitching and flipping, you know, we've got all these ranges of targets to hit. You know, you've got boat docks, laydowns, even shallow brush piles. And they're a little bit easier for most people to relate to when thinking about flipping and pitching but i gotta tell you when we get questions about flipping grass and we start talking about that on bass edge here the listener questions just explode can you shed some light on how we can approach a grass-filled lake where do we start and how do we proceed in florida you know that's what we have down here and what i like to look for is different stuff where stuff changes the greener stuff, you know, you got to watch out. You know, they do a lot of spraying down here in Florida and some of the other lakes that have a lot of vegetation. And uh, where the cover changes, there's so many different types of cover. Look for mixes of the grass or like where hydrilla is blown in the Kissimmee grass. You know, I always like to look for something different. I mean, where, where hydrilla is blown in the reeds. I mean, that's a huge deal. Yeah, you know, people get spun out. I mean, a lot of guys that fish the core, you know, the first words out of their mouth, especially after the tournament, like, I hate Florida. Everything looks the same. Well, you know, you kind of have to look at it like you look at your graph. you got to look for those edges, you know, the little turnings, little cut-ins, little boat trails, wind-blown areas, you know, because those little boat trails, you know, if you've got some wind, it funnels a little bit of current. And it doesn't take a lot in Florida to position these fish because they're not used to that current for the most part in a lot of these lakes. So if you get that little wind-blown edge, those are the things I like to target. You know, I like to look for those mixtures especially, you know, where you get that hydrilla or the reeds and pennywort, which are those kind of those little dollar pads. I love looking for those big mixtures. Of, those really seem to be great places to catch, especially the big ones. Well, all good stuff, Glenn, but our show will certainly not be complete without awarding a lucky listener $100 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts for this week's listener question as it comes from Shane Cooney in Fairfax, California. And Shane wants to know, how long do the females stay on the beds before they leave? 
leave, and what is the best way to catch them after they leave the beds. He states, I've heard that once the male drops the sperm, the female leaves and it's difficult to catch. Is this true? Again, that is from Shane Cooney. It's different in every place. A lot of it's water temperature. You know, the fish in Florida, I keep kind of going back to Florida, they seem to stay for a shorter amount of time. They will come in, they'll lay their eggs, the male will come in and do his thing, and especially because our water temperature warms up so quick here, the female, I've seen them sit for less than 24 hours. I mean, they're just, they're in and gone. You know, out of state, when the water's a little bit cooler, they'll spend some more time. I mean, it's definitely related to water temperature. I'm sure of that because I've seen where I found them and they sit there for a week in other places. I mean, you can, you find them the first day of practice and I come back later on in the tournament and catch them. So I, I definitely think that they will stay different amounts of time in different places depending on temperature. But yeah, once the male kind of does his thing, I think things start to go on and she'll head out pretty quick. That's great information for Shane and congratulations for having your question chosen for the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment. O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. Shane, simply send us an email and let us know that you heard your question answered on the show and we'll get your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card sent out to you in a jiffy. Just a reminder to include your shipping address when you send in your listener question to support at BassEdge.com or be sure to post your Bass Edge questions on Facebook for your chance to win that $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Well, Glenn, it's truly been a pleasure talking with you. Any closing thoughts or comments before we let you go? Well, it's been a blast talking with you guys. You know, I love sharing some of my knowledge. You know, like I'm a shallow water guy, and that's my thing. And glad to kind of share some of that knowledge with the listeners. You know, everybody wants to learn, and that's a whole big thing in fishing anymore. It absolutely is. And, Glenn, we just want to wish you best of luck in the upcoming year and look forward to uh, having you on the show again in the near future. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. I'm Jason Christie, and you're listening to Aaron and Kurt on Bass Edge Radio. Aaron, Glenn brings up a lot of really interesting topics and, and discussion about flipping and pitching, and even better is about sometimes us anglers really running with confidence, maybe even being hard-headed, really helps our success on the trail. Glenn talked about fishing some summertime tournaments. He particularly talked about Pickwick and how he tried to fish out deep and then went shallow when everybody else in the lake was out deep. I can think of an instance that that happened to me at Kentucky Lake, and you've got Kevin Van Dam and Timmy Horton and a 
bunch of guys catching them out there on those ledges out deep on crankbaits and stuff. And I just couldn't get that bite going. So I went shallow and started chucking around a frog around some grass and started flipping pitching myself and kind of kind of saved my day versus not catching anything. I started catching a few and certainly saved my tournament and just saved my fun for the day in general. There's a lot going on with flipping and pitching, isn't there? You know, there really is. It's such a broad category. And I think, you know, to do it justice, we almost need to spend some time talking about those subtleties that come into play because it's not just about going down a bank and just, you know, making a a pitch every 10, 15 feet down the bank. There's a lot of things that go into that decision making that make the difference of what's sitting in your live well. Yeah, I know one of those decisions for me is is weight size. When you're looking at at weight size, what kind of different weights do you like to use for pitching and flipping? And when would you use those particular tactics? Flipping and pitching to me has a lot to do with just getting in a rhythm. And certainly, you know, if you're fighting the wind and conditions that we can't control, you've got to be able to make sure that you're getting your bait to the target. So I think that's first and foremost. However, I also believe that once you're fishing that bait and if you're not getting a response, you need to take that information and make a change. And and Kurt, you hit the nail on the head. How many times have we seen it? You know, maybe we're throwing a a half ounce jig and we we scale back down to a 5 sixteenths or maybe we're flipping some sort of creature bait or some sort of little worm or cinco and we go from a 3 eighths ounce down to a quarter or down to a 5 sixteenths. That has a tremendous amount. That speed or that rate of fall, I think, is the difference between feeding versus a reaction. Yeah, the reaction bite, you know, using the heavier bait. Obviously, fish have all kinds of behaviors. So we talk all the time about reaction bite, and we talk all the time about instinctual feeding. And that is right where you're coming from is, you know, using a three-quarter ounce weight or a seven-sixteenths ounce weight versus a quarter ounce weight or an eighth ounce weight. You're creating a totally different uh, reaction from a fish behavior, whether it is just, you know, something that's ticking him off that's in his area and fell down really fast with that heavier weight and he just reacts to it or it's something that's slow enough because he's not really active that he'll then kind of cruise over and pick up and eat with some of those smaller weights. Another thing I've got to add to this conversation is even the bait selection. If you're throwing a beaver style bait, you know, it might not have a lot of fluttery action. You know, although it looks alive and it glides through the water, that's one type of of action for the bait that the fish may want or they may not want. And oftentimes you've got to change up just a small subtle change to a different type of bait. Let's say like a speed crawl or some type of bait that has a swimming action to it. You know, if you look at them in your hand, a beaver style bait versus, let's say, we'll go to a pack crawl, you know, and something that has some swimming action to it. It looks the same, but the reaction that you get from the fish could be totally different. If you're not having success with one, change it up to the other. And then we throw in all the subtleties with the weight differences, and now all of a sudden there's six or eight different ways to flip and pitch a small creature bait. And we've got to make sure that we're aware of these types of changes that we can make to be more successful on the water. Very good points there because remember the bass is not necessarily always responding based upon sight. It has a lot to do with water displacement which creates a vibration which appeals to their lateral line. And the other thing is Kurt, sometimes the strike zone is very very big so you can get away with using that heavier weight. When that comes crashing down through there they're going to give chase and they're going to hit that and follow that bait on the way down or they're going to reach up and grab it before it ever gets down. But when that strike zone shrinks based upon let's say a weather condition or a pressure change or something along those 
those lines, you've got to be able to keep that bait in the strike zone a lot longer. And one thing I do feel that we have to cover when it comes to flipping and pitching is that is when to peg a sinker and when not to peg a sinker. Do you have any thoughts on kind of rules of thumb on when you do that or when you don't? Aaron, I do. There's really limited times that I don't peg. My style and and my confidence comes with pegging most of the times. I'm pegging around cover for the biggest reason to keep my bait together, to keep it one piece. If you don't, you've got the sinker, you know, the sliding up your line or or the bait not together with the sinker, then there's a lot of hang-up issues, you know. So that's the reason I like it. When I don't use it, it's probably more important to me, and that is sometimes when I'm in vegetation and I'm using a very lightweight and I really want that bait to stay on top, I do not peg it. The secondarily thing is when I'm fishing around deep water with almost zero cover and zero structure, because I think what that does is it gives my bait dual purpose. I throw and cast the bait out, and my sinker will separate from my bait, and then now my bait is targeting some fish that may be suspended because it's coming down so much slower, whereas if I had it pegged, it would all drop to the bottom very quickly. And of course, since there's no structure, I don't need it pegged. So those are kind of the two areas where I don't peg. Most other circumstances, I'm kind of what you might say, I'm a pegger. (laughs) (laughs) I could think of many other things to say you are too, but no, uh, in all seriousness, uh, great show. Once again, we have reached our limit for time. I want to just really throw out a special thanks to our guest, Glenn Brown, who did a fantastic job of sharing his thoughts. Also to you, the listeners, here we have it, complete episode number 160, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. For Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin. Have a great week, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.